Hey there, I'm Sasha. I'm a doctor, I'm a mom, and I'm a founder. I believe that women are overwhelmed and exhausted. So I founded a company called Brave Enough. Brave Enough helps thousands of women find clarity, set boundaries, and gain control of their lives. So welcome, sit back, and let's get into the good stuff. In the next several months, we are going to be bringing in some amazing conversations. These are conversations that I recorded with leaders, entrepreneurs, women physicians, lawyers, business leaders, thought leaders, content experts for the summit of 2020. And the conversations were so phenomenal and we received so many amazing feedback. 700 women listened to these conversations and just said, oh my gosh, we want them. We want them more. We want to hear them again. We want to listen again. So much wisdom there that we decided that we would go, we're going to play some of those conversations in the next several months on the Brave Enough show. So If you know a woman in 2020 or 2021, who's like, Hey, I need some encouragement. I need some wisdom. I need some truth bombs. I need some hope. (laughs) Encourage her to listen to the brave enough show. Share that message because here we go with some amazing conversations. I hope you are going to love it. In season three, episode 11, we revisit the Summit podcast series when Sasha interviewed Dr. Tiffany Love. Dr. Love serves as the chief operating officer of Humboldt General Hospital and is a national keynote speaker. Now here's your host, Dr. Sasha Shilkut. Women. Thank you for joining us in the Brave Enough Elevation Summit. I have the most amazing guests on. Her and I met at the Harvard Women's Leadership Course, and we hit it off. Um, and let me tell you, this woman is the real deal. She is a powerhouse. She is a leader, and she is an executive, and she is in circles that very few women are, and she is in, in circles as a woman of color that even less few women are. And because of that, she has had to stand strong. She has had to speak up. She has had to take risks. So she has walked the walk. And that's why I've asked her to not only speak at the Brave Enough Conference in 2021, but to speak to us today. Because more than ever right now, we as women need to rise up. I honestly believe that if more women rose up and spoke up and stood up and took risks and used our voice, our world would be a better place. So it is my honor to introduce Dr. Tiffany Love today. She is the Chief Operating Officer at Humboldt General Hospital. She is an amazing healthcare executive. She has over 25 years of being in the healthcare executive space. She is a fellow in the American Academy of Healthcare Executives and a regent. She's on a board on their board for diversity and inclusion. She is a huge voice on social media. And she's also like a really nice person. <laughs> like she's the kind of she's the kind of lady that you want to have coffee with, you want to have wine with, you want to chill with, and she's just a powerhouse. And so it is my honor to have you on today and I just cannot wait for you to deliver some wisdom and some encouragement to these women. Thank you Sasha for having me or I should say Dr. Shilkut. Thank you so much for having <laughs> me. I love having chats with you because it always kind of we are already so connected in so many ways and we think very much alike and we both have the goal of empowering women and you know that is what i've dedicated my life to and so thank you for inviting me to this conversation today well one of the things that stands out to me about you is that 
you are willing to take risks and you are willing to stand up and speak up, which I, I know is not without like, there's not, there's downstream effects of that, right? Like there's, there's a feeling of like, oh gosh, did I lean in too far? Am I going to get my head cut off today? Um, and I want to go back to a story that you shared with me on the Brave Enough podcast where you talked about how a change in leadership significantly affected how you were treated and how you were in your leadership skills. I mean, it wasn't like overnight all your skills dissipated, right? Or your experience dissipated, but how you were treated and the discrim discrimination and the bias that you felt was instantly changed. Can you tell the women a little bit about that story in the background and what you learned from that? Absolutely. So this was the time when I worked in the deep South in Louisiana and I had come into this role as a deputy chief nursing officer. The title was a little different in the federal government, but I was working in the federal government. It was my first appointed position. And I was so excited to work with a regional CEO who was a black female. The CEO was a black female. My boss, who was the chief nursing officer, was a black female. And I thought, I've never seen so many women at these levels of leadership. And I was so excited to learn from them. And a few months after I arrived, there was a survey that did not go well and there was a change in leadership. I knew when the surveyor was sitting there with my CEO that this would not be good. And Monday morning, she announced her retirement and I don't blame her. I think she had just gotten to the point in her career where she was just done. And, and unfortunately, we all witness times in women's careers where they face that, that ultimate trial and they have to decide, am I gonna continue on and fight the fight or am I just, I'm tapping out, I'm out of the pipeline. And she decided to leave. And so my boss, when she announced this, my boss turned to me and let me know that she could not promise that she was gonna stay. I had no idea because I was still, even though I was in that C-suite realm, I, I didn't realize how much that put me in jeopardy. Because here I have two levels of leadership over me that are about to change. And so let me just warn you women, if this ever happens to you in your career, dust off your CV and just, just be prepared to decide, do you want to stay or go? Because when there's a change in leadership, it can be for you or it might be the battle of your career. And unfortunately for me, it was a battle. It was a battle for my career. Uh, there was a temporary boss who had come in as CEO and my boss was still kind of hanging around until they decided who the permanent boss would be. Well, once that decision was made, I still didn't really get the hint. But when they announced the new CEO, my boss announced her retirement. And I thought, oh, this is an opportunity for me to go into my boss's shoes. What I didn't realize was that the new CEO coming in, he was not fond of women. He was absolutely not fond of women of color. And I began a journey where I started out trying to prove myself and my leadership skills to this, this person. And I realized there was nothing that I could do that was ever going to make him want me or want to work with me. And I realized that not only did he not want to work with me, but he was making a strategic effort to undermine my abilities, my competency. 
And that's when I realized that just like we do in our clinical roles, it's really important if you can commit to become a board certified healthcare executive or a board certified in some type, whatever the leadership credentials are in your specialty, please seek those out because unfortunately men, it's just kind of assumed that they have the skills and the competency mm -hmm. to do the job. When it's a woman, we are challenged. We are criticized so much more harshly and there's so much research to support that. And so that began my journey of five years of just fighting to prove that I was competent. And once I gained that credential of being a board certified healthcare executive, that's when the tables turned for me. Mm. And that was a conscious decision that you made that you knew that, you know, I think it's so interesting that you knew you weren't going to change his mind. Right. You weren't going, you weren't going to somehow woo him into affirming you. And I think that's really important because I think there are, I talked to so many women who are like, my boss just doesn't like me, but he likes these other women. And I'm like, well, are those other women challenging him or leading or no? Well, of course he likes them because they're not like a threat to his power. So I think it's so interesting because you made the conscious decision like, I'm not going to change him. I'm going to change me. Right. And this is someone who had a master's degree. Keep in mind, I have a PhD from a very well-known school. And I already had years of experience in leadership. I mean, it was not as if this was my first leadership role. And so for him to treat me as if I didn't have belong or have a seat at the table, number one, thank God that I had the self-confidence to know that I belonged mm -hmm. at that table. And, and at that time, I was the only woman at that table. Mm. And so imagine being in a boardroom with all men and having someone literally target you and try to basically make you feel as though you're not worthy. And so initially I did try to please him and appease him and to, to show my worth. And then I realized oh, I'm, I'm done with that. I, I will work on building my brand outside of this organization. And I decided in March of 2015 that my goal was to become a board certified healthcare executive. And October 15, 2015, I became board certified. And after that, I didn't feel like I had to prove myself to anyone. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I love that, like, I've, I've just witnessed, you know, your trajectory. I mean, you are just incredible. Like, anyone, if you're not following Dr. Love, you need to follow her, number one, because she is a powerhouse and she is an incredible leader um, and very, very grace-giving and approachable. But what I, but what's amazing to me is that I don't see you tire. Now, I know you must tire. I know you, you have to tire, right? Um, you know, there, but, but I want to talk about like what keeps you going because I think so many women right now are so tired and I, I see women getting to a point in leadership and then just being like, I'm too tired to, to fight anymore. And they just, it's not because they don't have the skills. It's not because they don't have the, the experience or it's not because they don't have the potential. It's because they're exhausted. And so how do you keep yourself like inspired and empowered to keep going and not give up? So let me just lay it all on the table that I, when I was in the deep south, 
that was a time in my career where I wanted to tap out. I wanted to leave the pipeline. I wanted to give up. But I looked at the women around me who needed me. I mean, women physicians who were absolutely the top candidate for the role of the chief of internal medicine or the chief of staff and was bypassed for a lesser qualified male candidate. And it broke my heart to watch them grieve over the loss of the opportunity that they knew should have been theirs. And I just, I took a moment and I decided I have to take the focus off of myself. I'm going to focus on dedicating my life to mentoring and sponsoring women in leadership. And it literally, it's the people that I can help, that I, that I serve. That is what gives me the energy and the life. And let me just tell you, when I came into this new role as COO in January, it was exhilarating and exhausting. And I was here like from six or so in the morning till like nine o'clock at night for the first couple of months, honest to God. And then COVID happened. And all my, I couldn't, I couldn't stay in office past five o'clock. I was so exhausted, like emotionally drained. I just, I couldn't even, I could normally push myself, just push, 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 just get another cup of coffee and just, you know, everyone else has gone home and I'm still here and it's literally my bedtime. But when COVID happened, I couldn't do it. I just, I told myself, I have to take care of myself. I have to get my rest. I have to make sure that I am eating properly. And if I can only do eight to five, so be it. It just- That's it, such good self-awareness. Yes. And so, it, and not, I didn't realize I was fighting altitude sickness. I was exposed mm. to a coworker who had COVID. And when I went to get tested, my oxygen was 93%. And <laughs> of course I was like, oh my God, like, this can't be happening. Like I thought I had COVID because my oxygen was mm-hmm. so low. <laughs> and I went to the ER and I got an x-ray and the doctor's like, oh, it's probably just altitude and allergies and all these other things. And I realized I'm human. Give yourself the grace mm-hmm. to be human. So after a couple of weeks, I finally pulled it together, started feeling normal again, started going to the gym. The first 15 minutes of the day, give yourself the first 15. Mm-hmm. If you can't, commit to anything else and eat well and get your rest and the rest will fall into place. But literally the what inspires and encourages me is to see the women that rise into those leadership positions. If you see me on social media, I am like congratulating every woman who has gotten a full professor. (laughs) Congratulations, Dr. Shilkai, on your recent promotion. But I also... In the back of my mind, I worry because JAMA had an article recently that talked about the pay gap for women physicians and leadership. The title is Sex Differences in Physician Salary in U.S. Public Medical Schools. And basically, women who have a full professor, they might be getting paid the same rate as someone who is an associate professor. Like that pay gap is so real for physicians it starts at about $50,000 a year. And for surgeons, it can be as high as 100,000. And even when you look at nurses, there's less than 10% of male nurses in this country, but they start out at at least $10,000 higher than female nurses, and they get promoted more quickly. It's called the glass escalator effect. 
And so mm. when I when I read articles like that, it makes me mad. And the only way that I know to fight it is to mentor, to sponsor, to educate, to support as many women in leadership that I can so that I can help change what the C-suite looks like for us. Oh my gosh. Can uh, can she be everyone's COO? Like, can we all just work for Dr. Love? Seriously. Like, I, it's so interesting because we were having, I was having a recent discussion about the pay gap and, um, you know, someone said, well, the men are taking more calls. So that's why they're paid more. And I said, okay, wait a minute. If the men are all taking more call, there's a reason. What's the reason? Like, right. why are the men taking more call? Is it because it's impossible to have a child and take the, the scheduled call? If that's the case, then that's not a level playing field. Like you can't, you can't compare apples to oranges. Right. And so I said, you know, it, it's, it's, if, if the men are taking more call because they all have partners who stay at home and who have built in ch childcare, then that's not the same as a woman physician who just had a baby who maybe took three months of maternity leave or two months of maternity leave and she physically can't take the call. So we have to think about how are we structure and that's why it's so important to have leaders like you who get it and who understand how do you i want to know like how do you speak up like when you're the only woman around the table in the c-suite like you're in the most powerful room where all the decisions are being made i can't imagine being i can imagine being the only woman i can't imagine being the only woman and then a woman of color on top of that here you are in a new role here you are in a pandemic in a new role. <laughs> yes. How do you like, how do you know when to speak up and when to not speak up or to use your power, like use your platform? Like give us some pearls on that because I hear this all the time from women who say, I don't know if I should say this or if I shouldn't say it, if it's going to hurt me. Like how do you empower yourself? Like teach us about that. So we do have to be very careful because there is research that demonstrates that men, when they have direct communication, they are perceived as strong leaders. When women are direct communicators, it is very negative and it reflects in our performance reviews. So, you know, I am the type of person, I try to have the meeting before the meeting or there are many times where in the actual meeting, I might not specifically say something, but then I will schedule a meeting with my boss and that will be at the top of my list. Now, let me also explain to you that in my role, since I've been in the C-suite, I have always had the largest number of FTE for the organization. So when I was in Louisiana, I had over 500 FTE that I was responsible for. I see all of those salaries. And let me just tell you, Sasha, I wish I could say it was due to taking call. No, it is not. There are so many times when I will look at flat pay rates and pay scales across at least a third of the organization, if not the entire organization, and I see the pay differences. So it's, it's very, very real. And I am, I, I'm, I'm a woman for the people, I'm sorry, I, but I'm always going to advocate for equity making sure those pay skills are fair across the board. And, and it's not even just with women, but even with people of color. And within the federal government, it had to do more so with the way the promotions were given. Uh, so really, when you're within an organization, 
you really need to look at, well, how are pay raises being decided? How are pay rates being decided? Are they going by a scale? Are they going by years of experience? And there's also research out there. There was one article in particular, it's titled, the COO found out his company was rewarding HR execs for paying women less. Um, uh, this is what he did next. And it was an inc.com, inc.com. And so basically this was a situation where women did not negotiate their pay. We know we're guilty of that. Oh my gosh. So many women are guilty of that, and we, we have to break out of that. And I always advise women, if you don't negotiate a higher pay rate, then negotiate more benefits, negotiate more money for education, negotiate something, negotiate a bigger sign-on, relocation money. But you always, I have found, you typically will get more than what was originally offered. They usually come back with a counter offer that gives you something additional. And when you don't even attempt to make that negotiation, it's a lose-lose proposition. So we've got to break out of that. And for those women who can see those pay scales like me, please speak up. I, I know there is risk, especially being a person of color. I know that when I speak up for someone's pay, I'm potentially putting my own uh, mm -hmm. job at risk. I realize that. But at the same time, it's so hard for me to be quiet. It's so hard to me for me to be in a situation where I feel there is not equity. And so I know it's a chance that I take and I just have to do it. And I'm telling you, people recognize and appreciate it. Every organization that I've worked at, they, they know that I fought for them to get equitable pay. And that, if that's my only legacy, then I'm good with that. I love that. I love, love it. And it's such an ethical issue for me. Um, I think the first step is knowing the data and you get to see the data, which is awesome. You know, I know I've, I've tried to ask to push the, just asking for the data is risky and that's a good starting place, right? So if, if the data is not transparent, then that's a great starting pit place just to try to push the envelope, you know, and I love the meeting before the meeting. So can you explain for those listening what that's about? Like, what, what do you mean the meeting before the meeting? I, I know what it means, but I want you to explain it to others. Well, for all of my meetings that I'm attending, especially if it's all executives and, and you have to get a look at that agenda and see what's on the table. And like they say, if, if uh, you're not at the table, you're on the menu you need to prepare in advance what we're going to talk about, what those talking points should be, what your stake is in the meeting. And, and for the people who report to you, it might not affect you directly, but it might affect some of your direct reports. And so you have to come to that meeting with some data, with some facts. You know, you can't, you can't, I don't, I don't like to say, well, I feel, I think, I prefer to say, well, you know, according to this, you know, document or this data. This is why I would recommend that we go this way. And I do, if I feel that I want to be less forward with what I want to accomplish, I might ask the question. And I learned that from being in the South. Well, if you don't want to make the statement of the fact that you know, well, ask the question and then uh, do a more probing question until you get the person to divulge the information that you want or they will change the subject. And then, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> right. And then you kind of politely later on follow up with them on the conversation and say, 
you know, just again, asking those questions and say, oh, well, this is what I found, you know, were you aware of this? Is, is this something that we should look into? You know, some of it may seem a little passive, but unfortunately, when we're direct, it's considered offensive. So sometimes instead of making the statement of the fact, we have to ask the questions. Until mm, someone- I love that, I love it. Yeah, and then eventually, it, it's a strategy that has worked for me. So, you know, I definitely <laughs> recommend it. <laughs> I love it. You're giving us so many good pearls here. Um, okay, so tell us what has been, what has 2020 taught you? What has been the biggest lesson you've learned in 2020? Oh my God, Sasha. So I'm, I, like many people, I have reached the point of exhaustion and probably lightweight burnout where I just had to tap out. Like every weekend I was at home just sheltering in place. And then George Floyd happened mm -hmm. and I was crying every night and I was emotionally exhausted. And I came to the point where I decided I can't cry. Um, I don't completely feel safe to be out in the streets protesting for so many reasons. I just don't feel safe and probably never would feel safe to do that. And so I thought about, well, what, what action can I take to make the change that I want to see? I will not let this year go by without having measurable things that I have done to to make a difference and you know with the pandemic i thought oh my god there are people there are americans that are starving so i make a monthly commitment to go to the food bank every first of the month you know i'm dropping off my check and i'm just trying to feed my community and i thought well then when the situation with uh, mr floyd happened i said well this is this is not the first time you know we have dealt with african americans being murdered being brutalized for innocent people for no reason. And so I, I, I thought to myself, well, let me look back. Let, and, and I started to read again Martin Luther King Jr.'s book, uh, Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos or Community? Mm -hmm. And I realized that the same problems that they verbalized in the 1960s, we are still dealing with to this day. And I am mm -hmm. confident that it's because we did not truly address the institutional racism that has been identified for years. That is why we're dealing with this again. And when COVID happened and you realize that African-Americans might represent 13% of the community, but they will represent at least 32% of the people who are hospitalized and who die, who don't make it out. Well, why is this? Well, let's look back to unequal treatment. The Institute of Medicine already did the research we already have the recommendations. We are already, we have been told what the strategies and the interventions are. Why have we made such little progress? Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I wrote a letter to Deborah Bowen of the American College of Healthcare Executives. I, you know, stated my gratitude for her statements, you know, of support and just acknowledging that we have institutional racism that we need to address but I, I want to see some action and I'm willing to be a part of the solution, but I need more than a statement of support. I need mm -hmm. to see some action, whether it's from her, the American Hospital Association. I, I need everyone who I am giving my dollars, my professional society membership organization dollars. I need to see some action 
I need to see people. Amen. Amen. I love this. I'm like trying not to get tearful right now because um, we need to see you in leadership. We need to see people of color in leadership. It's not, it is not some big mystery. Okay. Now this is a complicated issue is how I feel. And I know I'm speaking as a privileged white woman, but there are obviously it's complicated, but it's not that complicated. If you have leaders that are women and men of color who can speak on these issues and who can point out systemic racism in our institutions. I'm like, if we don't have you in at the table, the, the people like me are not going to be able to say like, oh, I had this happen to me yesterday. That doesn't happen to me. We need those people at the table who can speak and say, why are we choosing this person and not that person? Why is this person getting this? Or why are, have we addressed this you know, public health crisis? And I'm just like, can we just start with getting leaders? Can we just start there? <laughs> exactly. Leaders oh, who have it. experienced it or have family members who've experienced it. Yes, and that's, and there's so much research like that shows that the more you diversify the C-suite, the more you diversify boardrooms, the more you diversify, the better your outcomes for your whole organization. Who doesn't want that? Absolutely. But I think that some people perceive that as a threat. So Absolutely. Again, going outside of my boundaries, outside of my comfort zone, I, uh, one of our colleagues, Dr. Jane Van Dees, I can remember her saying something a while ago about white fragility. And I thought, oh, that's an interesting term. And then I realized it was a book. And so after I read the Where Do We Go From Here, Chaos or Community, I thought, well, let me read this book and try and understand this perspective. And as I was listening, I, I cheat. I do audiobooks. I, you know, I listen to them when I'm getting ready. That's the only way I can get through like a book in a week because I'm just, I'm so hungry to, to educate myself to try and understand what our country is experiencing today. And I want to understand everybody's perspective. And so I listened to this book and as she's laying, I mean, this is research that this woman has done to understand different people's perspectives. And so I say, you can disagree with it, but just listen to what she's saying. And as I heard her telling these stories, I thought, oh yeah, I've experienced that. I felt that. And and I have been in so many situations daily, even just yesterday, where, you know, someone expresses something to me and I understand that this uh, point of view is coming from a place of bias. Mm. And I think to myself, well, I could share with them how biased their perspective is, but can they handle it emotionally? Will they feel differently towards me? Will it break our relationship? Right. And so it's like, as much as people are wanting to, to ask for information, please give me feedback, how I can be better, how I can be different. It's like, I am thinking inside, like, do you really want me to tell you everything? <laughs> I yeah, don't are want, you sure you really want me? <laughs> are you ready? Are you truly ready for me to just be honest about how some of this stuff makes me feel? Um, and so it's just like, I am trying to figure out how much honesty to give and taking baby steps 
so that I don't break some of these relationships with people who are just hung. America, they want change now. And I'm so thankful we're at this point where people want to see change and they're, they're literally putting their lives on the line. They're out there marching, they're doing their thing. And so I'm thinking, okay, you know, I, I gotta be vulnerable too, right? I gotta share, mm -hmm. I gotta just be open and in the most kind way, just be honest about, yeah, mm -hmm. th this really has been happening for the last couple of decades. And yeah, we, we yeah. definitely, we can do more. We can do more. Yes. Well, thank you for sharing that insight. And if you, if you were to tell the women one piece of advice or, or it can be a quote, it can be anything, um, anything hopeful that you're thinking or you're clinging to right now, as we look forward to 2021, what would it be? The only thing that I keep thinking of is be the change you want to see, because I can only control what I can do, right? Mm -hmm. And, and I want the best for you and I want the best for us. And so to the women out there, just think about the things that you can do, that you can control, that you can have impact because we have some really powerful women who are going to be listening to this. Right. And so yes. I need for you to think about your span of control, your area of authority and be willing to take a risk. You know, I kind of feel like I take a risk every day and I might, be a COO forever just because, you know, I'm, I'm taking such a stand because I want to see change mm -hmm. and I, you just have to be fearless sometimes and you just have to accept that. Yeah, you might have to dust off your resume, you know, but <laughs> so you might not benefit from that risk that you took, but the next woman might, the mm. next woman might. And mm. so I don't know. I'm, I'm just at a point where I, the filter is gone and I, <laughs> 2020 is like, Oh, come on 2021, six more months. We gotta I, know, do I know. I know. Well, thank you so much, Tiffany, for coming on and just sharing your wisdom. I mean, we could just hear for you for hours. You're so wise and you have so much amazing experience and so much skill, so many skills that so many of us, just admire in you and strive to have. And so I thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for coming on and sharing with us today. And all of uh, Dr. Love's information, her hash, her tweet or her Twitter accounts, her social media accounts, all of that is on the website. So make sure you follow her and amplify her voice. Thanks again for coming on. Thank you for having me. <laughs>